0: My name's Billy, I'm an addict. I can do this without a microphone, but we'll use it. Truly grateful to be clean today. Kind of overwhelming. Shaking inside right now. I did a little prayer before I spoke, so hopefully God will kick in in a few minutes. Kind of get the ego out of the way. I'd like to thank the committee for asking me to come and share and anytime I'm asked to do service work for Narcotics Anonymous, as long as I don't have a prior commitment, I always say yes because this is the program that saved my life. You're probably gonna hear that it's <clears> a <throat> little accent. <laughs> I come from Winter, Massachusetts, which is just outside of Boston. So yes, I parked the car in Harvard Yard.
1: And you know, it doesn't matter what
0: language, what accent, our message is the same. I heard a lot of different languages this weekend, and a lot of, a lot of different accents, but the best part is it's, our message is always the same. You know, a message of hope and the freedom from active addiction for one day. And when I first came to Narcotics Anonymous, they said, this is our message, that an addict, and I truly believe that they put the next two words in there for me, because they put a karma and said, any addict, because I want to exclude myself. I'm going, yeah, that's for another addict, that's not for me. I like to exclude myself from things. And she can stop using drugs, lose the desire to use, and find a new way to live. So what I like to do is kind of share my experience with that because it just didn't happen like flipping a light switch. When I came to Narcotics Anonymous, I was still using, so I had to learn how to stop using drugs. I could get clean. I just didn't know how to stay clean. You put me in an institution with some happy slippers and some meals and stuff and lock me up for a little bit, I can get clean. The problem I had was staying clean and lose the desire to use. I didn't think I'd ever stop lose that desire to use. And find a new way to live. I didn't understand what that was all about. And I believe that's an ongoing thing. I'm still finding a new, new way to live. I'll tell you a little bit about myself so maybe someone can identify the first drug I did was alcohol and every drug after that was a drug I was not going to do.
1: Because
0: I would like to point at you and label you and say, yeah, I'm doing this, but at least I'm not doing that. And I do it in recovery too. Oh, look at them, look at their door. At least they're doing that, but at least I'm not doing that. Look at, I'm doing this, but I'm not doing that. I don't want to put the focus on you. I don't want to put the focus on me. I might have to do something about it. But it doesn't matter. Eventually it's going to come to me because the pain is going to get so great. You know, coming to Hawaii and just meeting all these new friends and my NA family getting bigger and bigger you know one fellowship many friends It's it blows my mind and today I met up with a couple of friends and we decided to take a ride we went up to the North Shore and I wanted to swim with the turtles <laughs> and on the way back there was an accident and they said the roads closed and this is about five o'clock so this is interesting. So I didn't know if I was going to make it back. And I had the phone number to call someone and say, listen, I'm not going to make it back there this year. Someone else is going to have to do it. But the good part was, I never panicked. I never went, oh my God. Ah! And I know from experience, I might do it another time, but at this particular time, I wasn't all shook up about it. I said, you know, if, it, if it's... If it's God's will, if my high power sees it fit that I'm supposed to make it back there on time, then I'll make it back there on time. And I ended up making it back to the, the hotel with five minutes of eight. And I was going to have the guy kind of drive me with my bathing suit and T-shirt still on and kind of say, okay, just drop me off and you know let me go. But I know, I in the past, I've, I've panicked. And I, you know, I've, I've wasted all this energy worrying about something instead of saying, just let it go and see what's going to happen. And I would be disappointed, but if that's what it's supposed to be, that wasn't supposed to be. So I'm glad I made it. And I'm, and I'm glad I got to take a cruise and be with more friends and meet new friends. One of the... Uh, One of the incidents i like to share with you, of, in my act of addiction was, I have to make note of the time because uh, I've been known to talk a cat off a tuna boat. So, uh, one of the incidents i like to share with you is, the uh, government thought it would be a good idea to uh, employ me for a while So I went into the army, and uh, they realized that was a mistake, but they had me already. And I ended up in Vietnam. And um, when I went into the army, I truly thought that that was going to be a good thing for me and things were going to get better because, you know, I'm getting away from that neighborhood and I'm getting away from those people and all that stuff. I didn't realize that I had the disease of addiction at that time. I didn't realize that, you know... Anywhere I went, the disease of addiction went with me. Now I know that in that particular time, the untreated disease of addiction got on the plane with me as a difference from the treated disease that came with me this time. So I was in Vietnam and eventually got caught on a drug test and I went to this detox. And the first night we were in the detox, these guys are sitting around us saying, How are we going to get high in here? All the minds start working. So one guy suggested that we take a Pall Mall cigarette. He said, you know, if you crush up some aspirin, and you suck it up inside, and then you put some toothpaste on the outside, and you let it sit out in the sun for a little bit, and you smoke it, you can get high. So we laughed at this guy, and then we proceeded to get a Pall Mall cigarette, some aspirins, and some toothpaste. Toothpaste. Because he mentioned something might work. I got a sore throat and dizzy. That wasn't what I was looking for. So I told these guys, I said, you know, when I was stationed in Germany, this guy told me you can get high smoking ping pong balls. So they laughed at me and said, do what you got to do, Billy. So I said, well, I'm going to give it a shot. So I went to the rec hall and I stole a couple of ping pong balls. I sat on the bed that night, waited till you know one of the nurses that didn't make the rounds walked around and you know she was gone. I started sitting on the on the bed and I started smoking this ping pong ball. After a while, if somebody saw me gazing off into the ceiling. I said, "Wow, something's working here." So they walked up to me and said, "Hey, I know I ragged you, calls you crazy, but do you mind if I sit down and join you?" I feel like my ears are popping or I'm in Star Trek or something here with the sound system, but that's... (laughs) (laughs) Woo, sounds like the effects are using, but it's not using, kind of. Wow. Yeah, that's what it is. It's the ping pong balls. Flashbacks, Flashbacks, yeah. So the guy asked me, he said, you know, would you, you mind if I sit down and join you? I said, So I said, no, no problem, you can sit down and join me. A little time went by and another guy came by and he said, do you mind if I sit down and join you? I said, no, no problem. So the three of us sat there and we smoked a couple of ping pong balls. The next day I went to the rec hall and stole five ping pong balls. The reason I did is because something was working. We sat on the bed that night, and before the night was over, there was eight of us sitting in a circle. To the point where we made this makeshift pipe. Now, you know, our addicts, we can get very creative. We make pipes out of anything, out of fruits, vegetables. You know, we, we, if we need paraphernalia, we find something. You know, we find something, to, whatever it is, to get high. You know, if he gave us a, a cat and a piece of wood, we'd make a pipe. It doesn't matter.
1: So these guys are starting to hide
0: you. You got, you got back in line. You blow guys. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm saying, easy guys. You're going to blow this thing. The next day I went. I stole the whole box of ping pong balls. I got up real early. And the reason I did is because if I didn't, I knew somebody else would. When it came to the end, we smoked the last one. I said, guys, that's it. We smoked the last one. And three or four of them looked at me and said, you're lying. And they were right, because before I went back into that detox, I took two out of the box and I stashed them in the sand. I'll share with you, but you ain't getting it all. I went to the latrine of the bathroom, and on the way, when I came back, they had flipped over the mattress, they had Took the drawers out of the dresser, they were looking, and I and they said you had you had to stash something somewhere. And I said, No, I didn't. I convinced them that I didn't, and I smoked the last two by myself. You know, we talk about drug of choice. There are some drugs that I prefer. But when it came down to it, it's what's available. What's available? How can I take something to change the way I feel? I want to feel better. At that particular time, there was nothing else, but there was ping pong balls. So I said, okay, that was my drug of choice at that particular time, because it really doesn't matter what it is. And I found out that that was the disease of addiction. I didn't realize it at the time. And every time that... I smoked the ping-pong balls at the end of the night. I got a mad headache. I got pains in my chest. I could barely breathe. And I knew the next day when I did it, I was going to get them same symptoms if not something else. But I said, you know, I'll pay the consequence because I really don't care about that. It's 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 changing the way I feel. So then after, when I finally realized that it didn't matter what the substance was. And every time that I saw this patent in my life after I was clean, I'm going, wow, that was the disease of addiction. Because you can insert any brand of insanity into that story. And yes, it's true, I didn't make it up. If, I think if I made it up, I'd be sicker than actually doing it. But uh, but I really didn't, didn't have a decision then. I just wanted to ch- change the way I felt. Excuse me, it must have been that chilly I had.
1: I took them gas pills,
0: too. I can't understand it.
1: Okay, okay. No problem.
0: Okay. I continued to use when I, when I got out of the army, and it just went on and on and on until, thank God, there came a time where I got the gift of desperation, and I didn't want to live like that anymore, and a friend of mine kept coming to me and saying, Billy, you got to come to Narcotics Anonymous, you got to try Narcotics Anonymous, and I wouldn't go, and finally I went one day, because I wanted to get him off my back. I went to the meeting, I used, I went to the meeting, I was high, I was giving advice. (laughs) Eight months later, I had the gift of desperation, and I knew there was a place to go, because even though I was using, the seed had been planted, so when it came time to go somewhere, I knew there was a place to go. I was very confused when I first came to Narcotics Anonymous. All I kept doing is showing up. Self-centered fear crippled me. I wouldn't get up to get a cup of coffee because everyone's going to be looking at me. I wouldn't go to the bathroom because everyone's going to be looking at me. And then some things happened that really helped me. I had about five or six days clean. These guys asked me to go to lunch with them. And I said, Yeah, I I kept giving the Yah every day. Yeah, but I gotta I gotta catch the bus. We'll give you a ride home. Yeah, but I don't have any money. That's okay. We'll buy you lunch. Yah bot, yah, And they wore me down with love. So I decided to go with these guys. And I'm sitting in the restaurant with them. And I didn't know anybody except from from the meetings. I didn't know them from anywhere else. And I'm sitting there and I said, you know. I better tell these guys I need a game plan because they're going to be asking me for something taking care of me like this, so I need to head them off. And I said, you know, guys, I know everyone's sitting here. And I really pre- appreciate what you're doing for me. <clears throat> they're going to give me a ride home, and, you know, they bought me something to eat, and I was still smoking at the time. They gave me some smokes. And, and I said, you know, when I, when I get a job, I, I'm going to remember everyone that's sitting at this table, and I want to take care of everyone sitting at this table just like you took care of me. And what they told me was, that's a nice gesture and that's really nice of you to want to do that. But this is what we'd like you to do. When you get into a situation where you have the money and you have the means to give back to somebody, don't give it to us, do it to a newcomer. Give it to a newcomer, just like yourself in this situation, and then hopefully they can do it for somebody else and they can do it for somebody else. And he says, it's not just doing something for money, or just buying them something. It's just maybe sitting beside them and listening to them. So please, when you get into that situation, and you can do something back, don't do it for us, do it for someone else. There may be a time you want to do it for us and I'll be okay, but when you want the first time you want to do it, do it for a newcomer. So I'm sitting here and I'm shaking my head, and I'm actually saying, what the fuck are they talking about? I had no perception of what they, what are they talking about. Because I'm trying to figure out in my head, wait a minute, these guys want to give me something, but they don't want anything in return. And I just, a week earlier, I'd come from a place where everybody takes score. Because I know this never happened to me. Maybe I doubt if it happened to you on the street, but no one's ever said, Billy, here's three bags of dope. And when you get the money of the dope, give it to somebody else. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it never happened to me. So I really couldn't understand where they were coming from with this. I did in time, but not at first. I just couldn't understand it. And then a few days later, I was, I'm, I was still living with my sister. She asked me to leave, and I couldn't find a place yet, but I was still living there. And I'm sitting in the kitchen table, and my sister says, I'm going to go in the bathroom, and you know, I'll, I'll give you a ride when I come out. All right. She got up to get out of the bathroom. She took her pocketbook. And Mr. M- N.A., Mr. Recovery at seven, eight days clean got insulted. This was a sister I lived with and robbed as, as much as I could when I could. So when she came back from the bathroom and sat down, I said, Sis, what are you doing? Why would you take your pocketbook to the bathroom? I get eight days clean. She says, you know, you're doing really well. You know, just keep going to those meetings. And I can see a change in you in, in, this, in this short period of time. She says, but as far as trust, I'll let you know when I can trust you. Whoa. And that's when I realized that trust is something I earned from somebody. It's not something I can tell you. Because trust on the street was a word that was just thrown around very loosely. Is this good? Oh, trust me, it's real good. You'll be back in a half hour. Oh, yeah, trust me, I'll be back in a half hour.
1: You're
0: going to pay me Friday, right? Oh, trust me, I'll pay you Friday. So trust was something that just was thrown around. And I, today I know that as long as I trust myself, it doesn't matter who trusts me anymore. Because there were still relatives and friends that took a long time before, and this. Still some maybe one eye in me a little bit. I don't know. But I know I can be trusted today because I trust myself. As time went on, I remember somebody getting a 30-day keychain and I said, I'll never do that. My head's telling me, you'll never, don't even try it, Billy. You'll never do that. And I look back today and I know that I didn't do that. We did that. We did that. We got 30. We got 60. We got 90. If I start thinking that I do this myself, I'm in trouble. In the first year of my recovery, I wore a hat. And I mean I wore a hat. If it was 100 degrees, it was 10 degrees, I wore a hat. If I went to an NA... Dance, I wore a hat. I went to a convention, I wore a hat. I went to a meeting, I wore a hat. If you were sitting inside my house with me, I wore a hat. And the reason I wore a hat was if if you knew I was bald, you wouldn't like me. And the reason I thought that is I didn't like myself. I didn't have self-acceptance. And when I don't have self-acceptance, I don't accept you either. So what I do is I start looking at your stuff. Look at that fat bastard. Look at that skinny one. Oh, yeah, he's screwing her. He They're doing that when they're doing this. Because I'm going to start looking for your stuff. Because I don't accept me. And when his enemy's inside, his enemy's outside. And I'm going to start looking for your stuff. And it, it, it took a lot for me to walk into a meeting one day and not have a hat. I almost blinded people because the top of my head was so white. But it took a lot of courage to walk through the door without the hat. And some people knew what it was about. They said, wow, man, you look different, you look okay, it's good to see you. Man. And some people kept looking at me saying, you look really different. But that took a lot. And the way I came to that was I seen other people doing things and walking through their fears and, and you know, and, and, and doing it. So it gave me some courage to do it. They don't want to wear that hat all the time. Now I wear a hat as an accessory. Now I accessorize. I like the hat. And in New England, I have to keep my head warm or from the sun or whatever it may be. But at that particular time, it was a necessity. It was very necessary that I wore that hat because I didn't want you to see me because I didn't accept myself. And it wasn't until I started working through the steps that there was a change. I didn't understand any of that. See, I used to like, I used to like the fellowship. I still like the fellowship. I used to like to go to conventions and meetings and dances and camp outs. But when it came down to doing the program, oh, boy, oh, you might want me to read and somebody's sponsors want you to write. So one of the people I used to categorize was the step people. Anybody that was sharing, and I heard them start talking about the steps, I went into attack mode. And anyone that was sitting beside me, I started talking out of the side of my neck. Oh, boy, here we go, the step people. Watch this, give them some time, they'll be talking about God. Yep, there they go. I told you. After the God thinks by, give them some time, here comes that service shit. Yep, there it is, I told you. They start with the steps, they go right to the God and the service. But then I started realizing that these people that were talking about the steps and practicing them in their lives were happy most of the time and they were getting through stuff. And they they were being okay with themselves and they weren't using. They were getting through things without using and they were, you know, getting to the freedom part. Because for the longest time, I didn't understand that the steps were the answer because I wanted to avoid them. I was afraid of them. And it felt like one day that, like this, this phone started ringing. And the whole fellowship said, Billy, that's the clue phone. Pick up and say hello because you don't have a clue right now. And what happened is when they started working, when they started reading how it works, I felt like the whole fellowship was talking to me, saying, Billy, do you want what we have to offer? And I was in so much pain. And I am sitting there going, yeah, I want what you have to offer. You know, are you willing to make the effort to get it? Not kind of willing, sort of willing. i got to be willing to make the effort to get it. And I was going, yes. Then you're ready to take certain steps. And the line that really got me was, these are the principles that made our recovery possible. And what that told me that, if I don't practice these principles, recovery is not possible for me. I may stay clean for a while, but I want to recover. And then right after that they're reading the traditions and saying, Just as freedom for the individual comes from the steps, I'm saying, When they put that in there. I guess it was time to hear it. I don't know. But I said, Wow, that's where the freedom comes from. I want that freedom. And somebody sent me a line one time in an email and said, Don't believe everything you think. I can believe some things, but I can't believe everything I think. That's for my safety and yours, I think. (laughs) Because my head will tell me things that aren't true. And a lot of things that aren't true is the disease of addiction will lie to me. But recovery will tell me the truth. So I need to be hooked up to recovery to hear the truth, because when I'm isolating, it's tough to get to carry the message of Narcotics Anonymous to anybody. I hear the message of Narcotics Anonymous to anybody. How can I help a newcomer when I'm sitting home isolating, feeling sorry for myself? But when I'm in it, I'm in it. I need help from somebody, and it don't matter how long I've been clean. He told me my disease was. The core of it was self-centeredness. I saw it coming out in so many different ways. And one of the ways I used to judge where I was at, they used to go, I go into a grocery store. And I'm going to go in there real quick and grab three items. So I grab the three items and I get in the express line, 12 items or less. As I'm standing there, I'm looking at the person in front of me and they have 14 items. I know because I counted them. So now the committee starts off. you got to be kidding me. they got 14 items. What are they doing? It says 12 items or less right there. Oh, my God, they're paying by check. They don't even have the checkbook out. They knew they were going to pay by check. They should have everything ready. Oh, my God, Coupons. They're in, the, they're in the wrong line. They're paying by check. They got coupons. Oh, the committee. I just wanted a day clean. And all of a sudden, I became a grocery cop. So I had to be grateful and look at the situation and say, Billy, be grateful you drove up here in your own vehicle that was insured, registered, the brakes worked. Everything worked on the car. You went into that store, and you didn't use it as your personal buffet. You didn't go up and down the aisles making sandwiches and having desserts. And then walking out the door like, yeah, that was very good, thank you. I needed to be grateful for those things. I could have had two people in front of me with seven items. I needed to be grateful. I didn't... It wasn't about them. It was about me just being okay with me. But some days, that self-centeredness cripples me and that's where I go. And I say simple prayers. God help me. Because when when I'm praying sometimes, God knows exactly what I'm asking help with. God help me. So that's been a process. And this last year is... It's really... kind of see where my recovery's been at. Last year, I got complacent. Not a little complacent. Either I am or I'm not. I got complacent. And I started backing off the of meetings. Not doing as much service. Not reaching out as much. I quit my job. Didn't like the job anymore. My wife said, Yeah, I'm I'm glad you're leaving that place. And then I couldn't get a job. So now I go into this isolation thing. and, And then I came to a place where I got sick for three weeks and I couldn't make it to a meeting. And when I was physically able to go back to meetings, mentally I couldn't get back there. I had the tomorrows again. I'll go tomorrow, I'll go tomorrow, I'll go tomorrow, I'll go tomorrow. Then I want to go to a meeting where nobody knew me, hopefully. Then I want to hear, like, where you've been? Because the phone calls come in and I didn't answer them. So I'm in this depression thing and I'm struggling. So I started practicing the 11th step again. I was doing the prayers, but I wasn't getting into the meditation again, so I started doing that again. And during this meditation, God put this thought in my head, why don't you do 90 and 90? Why don't you get hooked back up again? You can recommit to, com- recommit to recovery anytime. I call my sponsor. I says, I'm going to do 90 and 90. I said, I'm a little nuts here. I've got to get hooked up. I said, I know it worked in the beginning. Why can't it work now? So I started this 90 and 90. And I went to a meeting every day. Two and a half, two and a half months into the 90 and 90, I go to work one day because I had just started a job. I was working there for about a month. And they said that we know we said we're going to keep you, we, but we've got to let you go. You're getting laid off Friday. I go home to tell my wife, and she asked for a divorce. And it was the first day of spring, and I said, this is a very interesting day. So let me stop my head from spinning for a minute. But the greatest part about that day was I never thought of using. I never thought of like, oh, let me take care of this thing. Because I truly believe when God put that thought in my head in January that he was preparing me for the storm that was coming. I just didn't know why. But I wanted to get reconnected again. And I truly believe that that's why I was doing the 90-90, to get back into recovery and to prepare me for what was coming at me. Because I don't know what would have happened if I was still in the same place. I don't know what would have happened. So I moved out. And I told my wife, I said, you know, I enjoy challenges. But getting a place without a job, that's a serious challenge. But I went to the bank to deposit my check, and I looked in the back of the bulletin board and looking for, you know, places. It was this place, and I took it. I called the guy up, and I said, you know, I still got a part-time job, but I got laid off from this other job, and I think I can handle it. He didn't make any references, any checks, anything. He said, okay, you take the place. You seem like an okay guy. I said, wow. Thank you God. Thank you God. So I just never know what's going to happen to me. And one of the things that helped me was in early recovery, when I first got clean, I started saying, Oh my god, I gotta do this and I got that and I got this and I got that, I got all this stuff in front of me. How am I gonna do this? And someone said, Listen, you just keep it in the day and you get your priorities together. You know when you have a mountain to climb concentrate on the path in front of you and take one step at a time and go up that path. And by that time, you're going to get up to the top of the mountain you'll be okay. And I had to do the same thing with this situation because I didn't know it was going to happen to me. I just didn't want to use. Because I remember what you told me. Don't pick up no matter what. And there was no parentheses after that. It was like, well, in case you get laid off and divorced in the same day, then that'll be okay. It's just no matter what is no matter what. There's no difference. And I'm just so grateful that I finally got involved in the steps that the freedom came, that I could reach out to other people and they reached out to me. But I don't know what would have happened to me then. You know, we... We get to go places and do things and it blows my mind that I get to come to Honolulu, Hawaii. I got a two-mile radius. Two-mile radius when I was used. I didn't go too far. And now I get to enjoy things. I get to look at sunsets. I don't know about you, but I never went out and said, Joe, give me an eight ball and a couple of bags. And by the way, did you see that sunset tonight? Wasn't that something? I also found out that when I put the drugs down, that this this disease can manifest itself in so many other areas of my life. I still struggle with some. I surrendered to gambling. I used the steps. I surrendered to cigarettes. I still get the shopping thing occasionally I look for that morgasm. You know, like when I see when I see things on, on sale I still get excited. Seventy five percent off, I don't even care if it fits me, I'm gonna buy it. I buy shoes that don't fit me, I'll curl my toes at seventy five percent off, you know. Clearance, I start vibrating. But that's okay. It's a process. So, So to be grateful for a day, there's three things I'm always grateful for. That I woke up alive, I'm clean, and I'm a member of Narcotics Anonymous. Those three things are always prevalent in my life. So one fellowship and many friends came to Hawaii and met more friends. The NA family just got bigger. Just got bigger and bigger. And I don't know what the future holds, but I'm okay with today. I'm okay with today. And that's what counts. So if you're struggling a little bit, you might want to talk to somebody. And don't forget the newcomer. Don't forget the person shaking around, and rolling, little, whatever. Don't forget the newcomer. If I forgot to mention, don't forget the new And It's truly an honor and a privilege to be able to be of service to Narcotics Anonymous, the fellowship that saved my life. Peace and mahalo.
1: Okay, at this time, let's thank uh, Billy for speaking. Thank you, Billy. And Algira from Oakland, California has volunteered to read We Do Recover. I'm an addict. My name is Eldra. Hi. We do recover. I'm trying. I'm speaking into the mic. It's right in my face. When at the end of the road, we find that we can no longer function as a human being, either with or without drugs, we all face the same dilemma. What is there left to do? There seems to be this alternative. Either go on as best we can to the bitter ends, jails, institutions, or deaths, or find a new way to live. In years gone by, very few addicts ever had this last choice. Those who are addicted today are much more fortunate. For the first time in man's entire history, a simple way of improving itself in the lives of many addicts is available to all of us. This is a simple spiritual, not religious program known as Narcotics Anonymous. Okay, that concludes our meeting, and we'll end in the third step prayer. I guess we're going to try to make a circle.
0: (laughs) You guys did this before, right?
1: Yeah, if you guys just want to gather hands, that'll work. a moment of silence for the addicts still suffering? Many of us have said,